Now, I'm a little sad that Aslan is not here in person this morning, but uh, he promised that he would zoom in this morning for today. So let's see if he's here. Okay, it's loading. Aslan, you there? Oh. As your sound. Your mic isn't turned on. Problem with Zoom always. Okay, I think he's going to go fix it. Sorry about this. We're having tech issues all over, it seems. Is that better? <sighs> Can you hear me? Loud and clear, Aslan. Thanks for that quick fix on that. No problem. I'm glad I can just be here online with you this morning. I see you're back visiting with your family, with your pride. I love summer and how I can just visit my relatives. So relaxing, just lying around taking cat naps. I bet that's great. So you know what today is, right? You bet. Our last Sunday. I'm a little bit sad, but also excited. I want to learn about our spiritual gifts today. They sure are exciting. I think they are. I really do. It really seems if we could use God's gifts for us, life would be great. Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Now you're just being confusing. I don't think it's confusing, but sometimes we get confused about what it means for life to be great. What do you mean? Well, do we think life is great the way the world does, Aslan? Or great the way God does? Oh, wait. Is this the kingdom stuff you like to talk about? It absolutely is, exactly. And that's a perfect answer. Um, thanks. God's kingdom is different than the world. That just makes sense. Jesus taught us things that the world doesn't. Such as? Love your neighbor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And Jesus called that rich guy to sell everything and follow him. That doesn't just sound great according to the world, but you know... The idea of Jesus asking me to follow him sounds amazing. Exactly. God's kingdom is different than the world's kingdom. Success is following Jesus, not making money or having power or controlling things. Is that part of what Jesus was talking about when he washed his disciples' feet, calling us to serve? Definitely. And our unsung hero today is someone who followed Jesus. And it cost him something important, according to the world. But in God's kingdom, I believe the blessings were far greater. Who is it? His name is Philemon. Oh, I've heard of him. Isn't that a book in the Bible? Was it a letter that Paul wrote? Right as usual, Aslan. Now, Apple should be here any minute. When she comes, just keep watching, Aslan, okay? Good morning, Az and Pastor Mike. Great to see you, Apple, and I love the waterfall. Yeah, I thought it was neat, and I'm a lot drier this way than actually being there. That is true, and virtual backgrounds are great. I'm ready to read our scripture this morning, but first, you promised to tell me 
something. I did. I told you I'd explain how the scripture for each Sunday is chosen and how we decide what to preach on. I'm so curious about that. Do you just pick the first thing that comes into your mind each week? Mm, actually, the opposite. The opposite? You mean you plan in advance? Whoa! Don't be so surprised. I try to. There's four things I do as I plan preaching and what scripture There's to use. There's more than one thing? Ugh, this sounds complex. Not really. It just takes time. So, what's the first thing? Well, first, I try hard to listen to God through prayer, reading scripture, and reflecting on our church, our community, and our world. I want the scripture we look at and we preach to be meaningful to the world in which we live. Like a good plan. What's next? Next, I put something down on paper. I usually try to plan out preaching from nine to twelve months in advance. That's a long time. Why so long? Well, it allows me to make sure we cover off a variety of topics. I usually try to make sure we have some Old Testament and New Testament scriptures to teach. It lets me prayerfully consider the scripture we use for each sermon series we end up planning. It also helps me make sure we're looking at different parts of the Bible, not just one area. I hope we can learn from all of Scripture, not just a few small parts. And it gives me time for steps three and steps four. That makes sense. So, step three? This one's really important to me, Apple. For each sermon series, or sometimes a period of time, I find a few people and I have them pray about the sermon series and provide feedback. Am I missing something? Do they have other ideas? Does it even make sense to them? Is this appropriate for the season we're in? I believe when we listen to God, we do that best when we're in community rather than just by ourselves. That means using the spiritual gifts God has given others. So, it's not just you. Nope. I find having others give input both in preparing it but also when preaching Help us be better at what we do and better at hearing what God is saying. So, what's stage four? I mean, what more could there be? Well, I keep praying. I keep wrestling and thinking and reflecting. I do reading about the series in advance, reading from Scripture and other books that people have written that God has put on their hearts. Sometimes life changes, like we have COVID, and that changes things. So, your plans change? It can. Sometimes I'll do a slight change, or I'll replace a few sermons, or rearrange. Sometimes a whole sermon series gets put on the shelf, like happened last fall. What happened? Well, we'd planned a sermon series. And I just felt very unsettled and sensed God telling me to hold off. I talked to a few others, and they agreed. So it went on the shelf. We may use it sometime, maybe not. That's neat. There's lots of prayer involved. I really hope so. Pastor Ben said prayer is important, and I agree. So I want the scripture we use and that we preach on to be what God wants us to hear, not just what I think it should be. But enough on that. We have scripture to read this morning. Oh, yeah. Let's get to it. <clears throat> Our Old Testament scripture reading is from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 12. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. 
Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. And our New Testament reading is from the book of Philemon, chapters 1, verse 7 to 16. Your love has given me great joy. It has encouraged me. My brother, you have renewed the hearts of the Lord's people. Because of the authority Christ has given me, I could be bold. I could order you to do what you should do anyway. But we love each other. And I would rather appeal to you on the basis of that love. I, Paul, am an old man. I am now also a prisoner because of Christ Jesus. I am an old man and I'm in prison. This is how I make my appeal to you, my son. One Simmice. <laughs> um, he became a son to me while I was being held in chains. Before that, he was useful to you, useless to you. But now, he has become useful to you and to me. I'm sending one Simus back to you. All my love for him goes with him. I'm being held in chains because of the good news. So I would have liked to keep one Simus with me. And he could take your place in helping me. But I didn't want you to do anything until you agreed. Any favor you do must be done because you want to do it, not because you have to. When Simus was separated for you for a little while, maybe that was so you could have him back forever. You could have him back not as a slave. Instead, he would be better than a slave. He would be a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even more dear to you. He is dear to you not only as another human being, he is also dear to you as a brother in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Very well done, Apple, and thank you so much for joining us each week online, Apple. It's been fun joining you again. I really enjoyed reading scripture each week and getting to help out. Also, thanks for answering my questions. Always. Anyways, bye everyone. Have fun, as Talk to you later. Toodles. That was fun. I like that fruit. She is pretty cool. Pastor Mike was Philemon a slave owner? He was. That's why Paul was writing him. But we're going to let best Pastor Ben share about that a bit more. Okay. Thanks for letting me join you and ask questions. I've learned lots, and I'm looking forward to learning more today. That's great, Aslan. You've been the main attraction for me each Sunday to have you join us. Urgh. That better not be a pun. Nope, nope, nope. Okay, no pun. Anyways, hope you enjoy what Ben shares today, and we'll see you later. Bye, everyone. Bye, Pastor Mike.
it's been fun having him join us. Okay, now let's hear what Pastor Ben has to share with us about Philemon. I think Philemon is one of the most interesting letters we have in the Bible because of its personal nature and the way it pushed for major changes to the way people saw each other and the ways that they interact with each other in that far-off world of the early church. The funny thing is, is that we know so little about the man that the letter is addressed to because the letter itself is far more about Paul and Onesimus than it's actually about Philemon, who it's addressed to. And this letter is the only place in the whole world that he's actually even mentioned. What we do know is this. Philemon was a first century Christian and a slave owner who also hosted a church in his home, most likely in Colossae. Now, before you go too upset about how could a Christian be a slave owner, you have to understand that that was normal for their world. Certainly, there were people that abused slaves then, but for the most part, it was just another way that a person could provide for themselves and their family if they didn't have work of their own. They'd be housed and fed and cared for by their master, much like an employer of cooks and maids and butlers would be in maybe a little bit more recent times that we'd be accustomed to. So their world was a little bit different than ours. In the book of Philemon, Paul appeals to his friend on behalf of a runaway slave named Onesimus. Onesimus had somehow connected with Paul, who was imprisoned in Rome. Onesimus became a believer, but because he was the property of Philemon, Paul sent him back with his owner with a letter. Now, usually we would cheer for a slave running away from an owner to freedom, but Paul saw an opportunity for something even bigger here. First of all, by Onesimus running away, he was breaking a promise made to Philemon. If Onesimus was going to follow Jesus, keeping his word and following the law would mean that he'd have to return to Philemon. Now, secondly, Philemon would have had every legal right to punish Onesimus and make his service longer and more difficult. But instead, Paul called him to take back Onesimus not just as a slave and not just to avoid punishing him, but to take him back as a brother and forgive him. Now that's a mighty big request. He'd be giving up his rights to be angry, his rights to justice, and his rights to a worker, but also be doing so when it made no sense in his culture to do something like that. It would be going against every big thing that they expected of their behavior, and what they figured was good wisdom in their society. Paul made this gamble, though, based on his knowledge of Philemon's character, with the expectation that if all went well, then it could be the start of a deeper relationship for Onesimus and Philemon, and frankly, a new kind of relationship in the church. Not only that would be an opportunity for the love of God to start to change the way the world works, from a way of thinking and acting that's focused just on what's good for me, to a way that Jesus led us to, to a way of thinking and acting that's focused on what's good for everyone else instead. It's that kind of sacrificial, unselfish, kind, and generous love that Jesus showed to us and can be shown through us to lead to changing the world. Thanks, Ben, for helping us understand this morning who Philemon was. And uh, again, thanks to Apple and Aslan for all the help you've given us over the past few weeks. We're going to miss having you around. Now, Philemon is a really interesting character to me. We really don't know about much, much about him, as Ben mentioned, but what we do know from the book of Philemon shows us a disciple who is living for Christ. And we know being an unsung hero for Christ means putting him first in all things. 
Philemon had a strong faith, but he also had a faith that was very much lived out with love for God's people. For Philemon, the idea of a faith in God that was not lived out in his life and relationships was not really a consideration, it seems. How he lived his life reflected his life and was shown in his love for others. Philemon even had a love that impacted the Apostle Paul. Philemon's love for others encouraged Paul and gave Paul joy. I think we need to recognize the ripple effect that loving others has. It doesn't impact just those we love, but it impacts those around us as people see us loving others. And Philemon had this incredible gift for loving others. And it was a blessing to those he loved, but also to those who were watching him. Now, it seems like Philemon had this discipleship thing down pat. I mean, he was nailing it. Paul could have been content to say, hey, great job, keep it up. But instead, Paul essentially says to Philemon, God wants something more from you. Remember last week how we talked about giving our whole selves to God? Not holding back? Well, Paul Paul knew Philemon well and knew there was another step Philemon could go in loving others the way God wanted him to. In particular, how he loved one specific person. The person known as Onesimus, Philemon's slave. Somehow, Onesimus was sent to Paul for some purpose. We don't know the details, but we do know is he was a slave to Philemon. And Paul wanted that relationship to change. Paul says, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you, Philemon, for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Paul wanted the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus to change, and to change drastically. Paul's not just asking Philemon to stop using Onesimus as a slave, to set him free, so to speak, but to embrace him in a different relationship, as a fellow person, but even more intimately, as a brother in the Lord. Paul even describes Onesimus as no longer being a slave. The first thing we can learn is Philemon was willing to have a status quo of his life challenged by other believers. He was willing to have people suggest that there was a more godly way of doing things than the way the world does. And he was willing to examine his life from that. Paul was wanting the relationship between the two of them to be transformed. Slaves came from different avenues in Roman culture. Some came from war when they were captured. Others were debt slaves who were working to pay off debts, striving to eventually buy their freedom. So often slaves were part of the economic system and were owned by the wealthy. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul calls on slaves and owners to radically transform their relationship so Christ would be honored. It was countercultural. With slaves being called to obey and respect with respect and sincerity, and owners called to treat on their slaves well. This was a radical departure in the, from the status quo in the culture. But here in Philemon, Paul's asking Philemon to take a step further and to do two things. First, to stop seeing Onesimus as a slave, and second, to embrace Onesimus as a brother in Christ, to be in relationship with him, to have love and value for him as an equal, as a human being just like him. 
This, if this happened in the culture, this is the start of economic upheaval, loss of power and influence in the world around, and a restructuring of even how Philemon's household would work. Yet Paul's calling for this radical change. Now here's the problem with calling Philemon an unsung hero. We don't know if Philemon actually does what Paul asks of him. But based on what Paul says about him, sure he would have. And we can give the benefit of the doubt and assume he does. So Philemon's an unsung hero for two important reasons, assuming he followed through on Paul's request, which I think the tone of the letter assumes that would happen. So we find two reasons he's an unsung hero. First, he was willing to let his life be transformed by Christ in all areas, including who he loved and how he loved, no matter what the world would say or do in response. Second, Philemon was willing to be challenged by his brother in Christ, Paul, as to how to love more. Philemon was someone who loved many people. He would have known that about himself. But Philemon wasn't satisfied with good enough. He was willing to let other believers challenge him in his life to go all in, to take another step forward, to grow in faith and living out his faith and love, in this case for Onesimus. But we make a mistake if we think Philemon is the only unsung hero in this passage. In fact, we miss the point of Paul's request if we only see Philemon as an unsung hero. You see, Onesimus is an amazing person as well. With Paul, he was encouraged in the freedom he enjoyed to return in that to his owner, to his slave owner. Just like Philemon, he's challenged to go to the next step to live in God's kingdom and not in the world's kingdom. So not only does he allow somebody to speak into his life and challenge him to grow, just like Philemon, he also does it. Now, think about it. Paul's treating him like he's free, seeing him as being an equal, a brother in Christ. He could have just run away on the way back. He could have just done his own thing. He could take Paul's words and say, that's enough for me. I don't need any more. Paul sees me this way. I'm good. But instead, he goes back to Philemon, even though that could mean slavery again for him if Philemon doesn't heed Paul's call. However, Onesimus was open to God being at work in, his, in Philemon's heart as well as his own heart. And so he went open to God doing something new in that relationship. Think about the courage that would take. In our world, a slave set free would be amazing. We want that. We want all slaves set free. We don't like slavery. We don't value slavery. In our world, a slave returning to his master to be friends or even brothers would be unheard of and make no sense at all. It would be ludicrous. But in God's world, that's what God wants. Philemon had a gift of love. And Onesimus seemed to be very helpful to Paul, so perhaps like Mark, he had the spiritual gift of service. Paul didn't just encourage an end to the slave-master relationship. He encouraged them to use their gifts to the maximum and find a new relationship together as friends and as brothers in Christ. I want to share a personal story. In junior high, I was, 
I was so awkward. I was this tall, lanky, skinny little kid who, I only had a couple friends. I was, I was geeky before geek was cool, before my time. And there's a couple other kids like that around me. But you know, you're in junior high and you kind of want to be with the cool kid. You want to be seen as being somebody important, right? And so, kind of got pushed into picking on another kid named Levi. And we're in the hallway at school between classes. And the popular kid's like, they need a fight. You start hearing the chant. Fight, 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 fight. Gets louder. Fight, 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 fight. And they're circling around me and Levi. And we're in this room and we're looking at each other. And we finally circle. Eyeing out the opponent. Looking for weaknesses, opportunities. Yeah, no. Trying to probably both trying to figure out how do we get out of the situation. <laughs> Man. But finally, and if I remember right, I went first. I went for him, and I, I don't think it would have been a punch because <laughs> I just don't have the hand-eye coordination. <laughs> but quickly, a teacher came and broke us up and took us to the principal's office for fighting, which, you know, looking back, maybe wasn't the right terminology. <laughs> for what we were doing. I'd given in. In the world, they would have said, you should have just walked away. Just be at peace. Don't be fighting. Peace, you know, just not fighting. An absence of violence is good enough. That's what our world would say. Onesimus and Philemon not being slave, slave owner, good enough. It's all that's needed. But that's not what God would have wanted for me. I missed a great opportunity. I could have been a friend to Levi. I could have shared God's love with him. I could have been the friend he didn't have and that he needed. And maybe God would have used him to be a friend to me. I could have shown the other kids who were bigger and popular and, yeah, sometimes bullies. I could have shown them a different way of doing things. Would it have made a difference in them? I don't know. Maybe not then. Not proud of that story. But there was something more that I could have done in God's kingdom that the world would not have expected. The world would have said, you should have just walked away. You know what? I don't think that would have been good enough for God. I think God wanted more from me, and I didn't do it. And God wanted more from Philemon and Onesimus. God works through our gifts to have us live his way in the kingdom of God here on earth and to help others live that way too. It can come at a price in the world and it'll look very different than what the world wants. Philemon was going to lose a valuable asset in his household in giving up a slave. However, Paul is telling me, you're going to gain something so much more, something the world won't even value, but in Jesus' kingdom is beyond value. You're going to gather, you're going to 
gain a brother in Christ. Remember how we keep talking about how we need each other? We need the body of Christ, all of it. We need each of us. Not just those we like. Paul encouraged them not just to coexist after the master-slave relationship ended. That would have been easy. Just keep them apart to keep the peace. Family dinners, put them at opposite sides of the table, right? That's what we do in our families when we're not getting along. Instead, Paul insisted on them taking the relationship to a new level, to reconciliation, to restoration, and value for each other despite the different perspectives and backgrounds. This is a lesson for us today. You might say, Mike, I don't have a slave. Good. <laughs> if you do, we need to talk. Because there is slaves today. We need to have humility in our world today and be willing to be challenged by others to grow in faith. We need to stop thinking we have all the answers that everybody else needs. And you have to ask yourself, are you willing to let others speak into your life and challenge you and how you see things? Or are you the one with all the answers always? Or are you looking for people who see things the exact same way as you so they can say, yes, I agree, and you can feel good about yourself? Do you think you're the person that others need to learn from and listen to? Or are you willing to listen and learn? I need to tell you, I've got lots to learn myself. We also need to be willing to lose something in this world to gain something in God's kingdom. We don't get to keep both. We don't get to have everything the world wants us to have and everything God wants us to have. There's going to be give and take. And you've got to choose what's going to give and what's going to take. It comes at a cost to be a follower of Christ. What do you need to let go of in this world to step forward in God's kingdom? What are you holding back from him? If you're saying nothing, then you need to stop and re-examine your life and think again. Because I suspect we're all holding back something. We've rationalized it maybe, we've justified it maybe, but maybe we need to go back and revisit our justifications and our rationalizations and our earthly logic and revisit it from kingdom logic. Is there something that your identity here is rooted in this world other than Jesus? And if the answer is yes, how are you going to change that? And it's not always easy. But be willing to go the next step. And we need to be willing to go the next step. Especially in this world. Are you willing to go the next step and seek healing in broken relationships you have? Are there broken relationships in your life that need healing? Are you willing to move beyond avoiding the issue and peaceful coexistence to a restored and reconciled and renewed relationship? And I'll be honest, this is hard. And there's a risk to this. Now, I want to sidetrack for a second here. Because you may be saying, oh, Mike, yes, I want that, but... 
they're not willing to do their part. They got to see the reality and the truth of the situation before we can be reconciled. Isn't that always the case? So, the question is, are you willing to set aside being in the right to instead step into being present and in relationship with those you have struggles with? I'm not asking you to compromise your faith, but to approach it with humility and value for that person over the need to have the right answer and them to say, yes, you're right. Because often that is one of the biggest stumbling blocks in relationships. Whether within a family, within marriages, within friendships, within the workplace, within the church. We just want to have people agree with us and see it our way. And if they do, it'll all be good. Because what, we've got the answers all down? Really? When we have this humility... God can do amazing things. Amazing things like taking a slave and an owner and making them brothers and friends. Amazing things like restoring marriages and broken families and making them new. Amazing things like uniting a community with eyes on Christ in a season when our world is so divided. In all things, we set our eyes on Christ using his gifts and skills he has given us so we together can all give glory to God. For that's what an unsung hero does. We give glory to God. I don't want our divisions just to simmer under the surface as we come out of COVID. Because they are there in our community in our families, in our friendships, and they're there in our church. I see them and I hear them. They're present in this room. And if your need to be right transcends your need to have your eyes on Christ and love your neighbor, you are off base and are living according to the world and not according to God's kingdom. The biggest threat to COVID has not been restrictions that kept us from coming to worship. Keep in mind, the body of Christ was killed once and only once and it rose from the grave. The body of Christ will never be killed again. And we are the body of Christ. There is no threat to killing off the church in this world. Because God is on our side. So there's no restrictions that are going to kill us off as a church. Those are an inconvenience. The biggest threat to this church, and any church, the church, usually comes within. From our own divisions. Are wanting to live the world's way and not God's way. That is why we're putting so much effort into communicating again and again and again what it means to be a community of faith because we are in a position to come out of this stronger as a light to the world. Remember how Philemon's love had those ripples that affected Paul? Imagine if our love for one another, despite our different different viewpoints, different experiences, different understandings, different knowledge, we think, Imagine if our love overwhelmed that and was a witness to the world around us. Our world is desperate for community, 
desperate for places to connect and engage where they can experience love after 18 months of being separate and isolated. And the question is, are we going to be there for them? Or are we going to be so busy, divided, and focused on being right that we miss it? What do you want? I want to be part of a church where we can come back and love. I want to be a church where as people come back, not just right now, but in a month, in two months, in five months, in six months, in a year, they're always welcome back with we love you and we miss you. And it's good to be joined together. And thanks for being online all that time. I want to be together as a church where we're saying we come into this building from a divided world, but we're united in Christ and we set our eyes on him. And that's our primary focus always. And we worship together in the spirit, which means that those people at home who are still watching are not any lesser than the people who are here. They are part of our family. You are part of our family at home, on vacation. You matter. I want you to know that. And we love you and we miss you. And we need to be connecting with one another, reaching out to one another still. That can't stop as we come out of COVID just because restrictions have ended. We need to be loving and reaching out and connecting with one another. Philemon and Onesimus show us the possibility of what God's kingdom can do, and it usurps the powers of the world phenomenally. The Roman Empire economically was built on slavery. And this one relationship the dominoes start to fall and the kingdom of God is breaking in. And I want to see the kingdom of God breaking in here, continuing to break in. Remember the map. If you weren't here, we had a map with one dot where the church was saying that's what it means, that's what we saw being a church was, a light in the community. Map of Regina, just one red dot. And then we switched to the map of all our houses where we were worshiping as we were at home. And there's red dots everywhere. God knew what he was doing. He's put us all around this city. And we are the light in the kingdom of God in this community. And we're not alone. There's so many other brothers and sisters in Christ in this city. The light of Christ should be blaringly bright that there is no darkness. And that light should all be pointing to the truth that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into this world to die for our sins. He died on the cross and rose again on the third day, ascended to heaven, and one day will return in glory for the fullness of redemption. And we are a part of his body now, working towards that day. And that's where our eyes and our focus are set on. And to God be the glory. And thanks be to God. Let's bow in prayer. Jesus, we need you. We need your spirit working in us and pushing us and challenging us. Help us to encourage each other, to spur each other onwards, to speak to love in love to one another. But may your spirit help us just to be a people of love for one another. To recognize that there's differences in us. We're all unique and different. 
And there's challenges in that and that we have different points of view, but we're also all uniquely gifted and called by you, and, but we're all saved by you, and we are one body, and we need each other. So help us to set our eyes on you, to look past the distractions of this world, because that's all they are is distractions. They are not a threat to you, but rather you love the people in this world and they need to come to you because you came into this world for them just as you came for us. So help us to set our eyes on you and to be a light in this community and in this world. And may you be glorified as we go about living out our life and faith each and every day. In your name we pray. Amen.